my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to another segment of Verse of the Day. Today's verse comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, <coughs> which says, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who for f who fourteen who fourteen years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. <coughs> God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. <coughs> I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me <coughs> than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. <clears throat> but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. <clears throat> for when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul has labored to turn the boast of his opponents upside down. They boast in their triumphs, so he has boasted in his sufferings. Now he is in an awkward position. <clears throat> His opponents boast of visions they have received. So the opposite of this would be boasting in the fact that he has not received visions. But that wouldn't be lying. Paul received a vision of paradise that was exceedingly great. And if he were to boast in that vision, he would not be a fool. But would be telling the truth. Paul is able to turn this boast on its head. However, by showing that the greatness of the vision created a pride problem in Paul that God had to address. So the structure of verse 7 is masterful. So what does verse 7 say? Verse 7 is the one that says, or because of these suppressing great revelations, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, <coughs> a messenger of Satan, to torment me. So 
the middle of the verse describes a thorn in the flesh. This thorn is a messenger from Satan designed to torment Paul. But God has a purpose for the thorn. The verse begins and ends with God's design to humble Paul. Machine. That was the purpose of the thorn that God gave Paul. Was to humble him. <clears throat> so what Satan intended for evil, God intended for good. Or God turned into good. Paul responds to the painful torment of this thorn in a natural way. It says in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So he asked the Lord to remove it, and he did so three times. But he received an unexpected answer in another vision. So that's in verse 9. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. For you see, Jesus did not take the thorn away. Jesus gave Paul more of himself. God's solution to earthly suffering <clears throat> is not to take away the trials to make earth a paradise. His answer is to suffering is to give us more of himself. His all-sufficient grace so that we have enough to endure the trials. So it is this response. It is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness, which is what we're talking about here. That's how he responded to Paul's request. That's how Jesus God responded to Paul's request to take this thorn away from him. So his answer is... So he goes from praying for the overall weakness to boasting in this weakness, which is, therefore, I will, which is the last half of verse 9, which says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So the question then is, how do weak people boast? So weak people boast. Jesus is strong enough for anything they face. How do we know that? So that's what works where verse 10 comes in. And that it says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And then he ends by saying, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So the surpassing power belongs to Jesus, belongs to him, belongs to Jesus, and rests on us. That is how a weak person can boast. So today's Bible readings are Judges 13 to 14, John 1, 29 through 51, Psalm 102, 1 through 28, and Proverbs 14, 15 through 16. So that concludes our verse of the day segment. We are now going to move into day 121 of our Through the Bible in One Year segment.
also our focus for this segment is going to be John Wooden. So remember, for quite for a while, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. We're going to be walking through the Gospel of John, essentially section by section, and possibly verse by verse. So keep that in mind. So in yesterday's section of John, which was the prologue or the introduction, John the Apostle referred several times to the testimony of John the Baptist. <coughs> he referred several times to the testimony of John the Baptist. So in today's section, John the Apostle actually gives us, gives us an account of the testimony that John the Baptist gives about Jesus, and it occurs over a two-day period. <coughs> so that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time together today, looking at in great detail. So the first section that we're going to cover is going to be John 1, 19 through 23 which says, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of, <coughs> words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. So here we see the religious establishment questioning John the Baptist about his own identity. So, what did John say about his own identity? So, they asked him three different questions. They asked him, was he the Messiah? The answer to that question was no. So, as the passage unfolds, we see that John the Baptist established not only who he believed himself to be, but who he believed Jesus to be. So in this section, right, and the following one, which would be verses, uh, which would be verses 24 through 211, should be understood as a unit, since the passage refers to seven consecutive days. So we're going to come back to that question of what did he say about So for right now, just understand that he did not he did not say that he was the Messiah. Come back to that question. Because we gotta understand a few other things first. So we gotta understand that John the Apostle sometimes refers to Jesus' opponents as the Jews. And sometimes as the Jewish leaders. So let me make this very, very clear. At this point in time, for those of you who are thinking what I know you are thinking, when you hear phrases like that, aha, it's biblical proof that we should hate the Jews. It's biblical.
for anti-Semitism. That is not at all what this is. Because the opponents of Jesus and the opponents of John the Baptist were not, were not Jewish people as a group. It were it was the leaders of the Jewish people, those who had led the Jewish people astray. So understand that. So this is not a call. This is not a rationale for any person at any point in time to say that the entire Jewish nation needs to be wiped out. <clears throat> because that is what this kind of language in the Bible has been used for for centuries. It has been used as a rationale for saying, aha, aha, they opposed Jesus and they opposed him so much that they ended up killing him. So that's all the reason that we need to eradicate them from history. But that is not at all why John includes this. What John is saying is that the problem was the leadership. It was not the people themselves. So keep that in mind as we move forward. <clears throat> so his wording should be understood as a reference to the Jewish leaders and authorities in most cases, since almost everyone in this gospel is Jewish, including Jesus and his disciples, including Jesus' early followers, and including those that were responsible for ultimately spreading the gospel to the Gentile world were almost all originally Jewish. So now that we have made that perfectly clear, now we can come back to the question about what did John say about himself. So he denials after he says that he <coughs> was not the Messiah. So starting in verse 21, it says, they asked him then, who are you? And he said, I am not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. <coughs> are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer. Take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? <coughs> John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. <coughs> so we see his three denials in response to the inquiry concerning his identity. So he denied first that he was the Messiah. So that's the first one. Not a real big one. He denied first that he was the Messiah. <coughs> So both Messiah in Hebrew and Christ in Greek mean anointed or chosen one. So the Old Testament predicted that the Messiah would descend from David. That's 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 16. <coughs> so many first century Jews expected the Messiah to be a Davidic warrior who would lead a rebellion 
rebellion keyword there, a rebellion against Roman domination. Which, as you can tell, John the Baptist does not meet that criteria. He was not descended from David. <coughs> Nor does he fulfill their belief or their expectation that the Messiah would be a Davidical warrior who would lead a rebellion against the oppression of Roman rule. So John, uh, John the Baptist denied further uh, prophet Elijah, right? So even though he was similar to the prophet Elijah, was not the prophet Elijah. So why would they think he would be the prophet Elijah? Well, because Elijah did not die. <coughs> That's Second Kings two eleven, and many believed, and still do, he would return in the final days. That's Malachi four, five through six. So finally, so that's the part where he saw, where they asked him, "Then who are you? Are you Elijah?" And he said, "I am not." <coughs> but now we come to the third and final denial, which is, "Are you the prophet?" And he answered. So finally, John the Baptist denied he was the prophet Moses predicted. That's in Deuteronomy 18, 15-18. So then, how did John the Baptist see himself? So, picking up in verse 23, uh, which says, not 22, excuse me. Finally they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So here's John's answer. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Make straight the way for the Lord. So John the Baptist saw himself as the herald and as the herald foreigner preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah. So John the Baptist knew his role of history, and he embraced it. He didn't take on an identity that was not his identity. That was not that God told him he was there to do. He took on the identity and the role that God had specifically designed and created for, and had specifically put him in place to do. Now we're going to come to the next five verses, which is going to take us down through verse 28. So that's starting at verse 24. That's John 1, 24 through 28. <coughs> now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So let's talk a little bit about who the Pharisees were, because you got to understand who the Pharisees were to understand who this, who Jesus' main opponents were when it comes to the Jewish leadership. His main opponents were the Pharisees. So the 
Pharisees were an influential religious sect during this time. Right? They are characterized as meticulously following God's law and their oral traditions. So they meticulously followed God's law. That's okay. It's okay to follow God's law. Maybe not as meticulously as they did. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Is that they, they also followed their oral traditions. That means their own traditions, their own customs that they had built up and added on to the law. On top of what God said you're supposed to do, we say you're supposed to do this also. And if you don't do this also, it's no good if you do what God says to do. So, you follow me with me so far? So this group of people believed John had no authority to baptize if he was not one of the prophesied figures that we just read about. So if he was not the Messiah, if he was not the prophet Elijah that came back, or if he was the prophet that Moses promised would come. So are you following me so far? So what they failed to understand was that John's baptism was an outward act symbolizing inward repentance and cleansing from sin. So what they failed to understand was the fact that John's baptism did not actually change a person, just as today baptism does not actually change you. Baptism is an outward sign of what has happened on the inside of what has happened to your heart. Just as John was baptizing these people who had come and who had repented of their sins and who were turning away from their sins, which is what the word repent means. It means to turn away from and to go the opposite direction. So that means if you were not following God, to repent from not following God, means that you turn around and you start to follow God. So his water baptism was anticipatory as he waited for the greater one. And so now just a brief note on location, right? Because you see this, uh, mentioned that it happened, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is not the Bethany that we're going to hear about later in John's Gospel, and that we heard about in Luke's Gospel, that we heard about in Matthew's Gospel, that we heard about in Mark's Gospel, which was located outside of Jerusalem, which is the uh, village located outside of Jerusalem. This Bethany was located on the other side of the Jordan River. In other words, this Bethany was located out in the wilderness. John was doing all of this out in the wilderness. So now we're going to pick up and go through to the very end of today's passage. Uh, John 1, 29 through 34. Which says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw a spirit come down from heaven, 
is a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So let's unpack that for just a little bit, because there's all sorts of good stuff in here. Alright, so John the Baptist's statement that he makes here, that he did not know Jesus should, should be taken to mean not that he did not know Jesus, but that he did not know him to be the Messiah. So what are we talking about here, right? So it says, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So in other words, what we're seeing here is that John the Baptist knew Jesus because Jesus was his cousin. Right? They were related by blood. But what? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that he didn't know him, that he did not recognize him as Jesus. What he's saying is that he did not recognize him as the Messiah, as God's anointed one, as God's chosen one, the one who would come to save the people of Israel from their sins. <coughs> so John the Baptist here makes three dramatic affirmation, affirmations to Jesus' identity. So the first one is, Jesus is the Lamb of God. So which takes place in that first verse. Now this verse 29 which says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I met when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed the world. I think we just... Moves on to the second one. So we're going to stop right there for right now. So, he says Jesus is the Lamb of God. So what does this mean? It means Jesus' death will take away the sin of the world. That's Isaiah 53, 7. So the fact that Jesus' death takes away sin teaches that his death was sacrificial and substitutionary. So in other words, he died to pay. It was sacrificial. In other words, he finally gave his life for you, and substitutionary means he died in your place. So substitutionary is different than an exchange, and exchange has to happen over and over and over and over and over again in order for it to still be valid, valid. whereas a substitution only has to happen one time. Right, so I substitute, so Jesus substituted himself in for you, it only had to be done once, it doesn't have to be done over and over and over again, that's what we talked about on Easter, if you want to know a little bit more about that, go back and listen to the Easter message, or read the Easter message. So what then, so that's the first one, Jesus says, is the Lamb of God. So the second one is that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Right? So that comes from 
Jesus. And since I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down <coughs> and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Right? <coughs> so the Spirit often came on people for specific tasks in the Old Testament. So it came on Samuel, it came on David, it came on Saul, it came on Moses, so on and so forth, but it would only come on them for a specific period of time, for a specific task. So it would be a temporary coming of the Spirit. <coughs> but, 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 the Spirit remained on Jesus, and because the Spirit remained on Jesus, because Jesus was fully God and fully man, right? Prophet Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would be continually filled with the Spirit. It's Isaiah 11, 12, and 61, 1. So, baptism with the Spirit pointed toward the day of Pentecost. In other words, Jesus was full of the Spirit. When he died, he passed the Spirit on to his followers. He came to dwell inside his followers. Are you following so far? So the third and final affirmation that John made in this last section comes in verse 34 where it says, I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. God's chosen one. So Jesus is God's chosen one. So the thought is that God chose Jesus to be the Messiah. He was God's chosen one. He was God's anointed one. He was the one to fulfill God's plan of salvation. And that God knew this from the very beginning of time. So everything from Genesis all the way up through now. When I say now, I mean in John's Gospel. Has happened for a reason. Has happened for a purpose. Has happened to point towards the coming of God's chosen one, the coming of God's anointed one, who would fulfill what the law foreshadowed. So the thought is that Jesus, that God chose Jesus to be the Messiah and the one who would secure redemption for his people. And who are God's people? God's people are everyone who put their faith and trust in Him. It's not just the people of Israel. And it's not just the people of the United States. It's not just the people of Canada. It's not just the people of pick whatever country you live in. Right? It's everybody who puts their faith and trust in Him and who accepts the fact that Jesus is the Son of God who came to fulfill the law, who came to die a sacrificial substitutionary death for you so that you could be free from your sins. And we'll pick that up tomorrow when we see the effect that John's testimony 
Jesus had when he when Jesus picks up his first followers or his first disciples. And so tomorrow's Bible readings are Judges fifteen through sixteen, John chapter two, Psalm one oh three one through twenty two, and Proverbs fourteen seventeen through nineteen.